text today is going to be 1 Peter 3.18, going into chapter 4, verse 6. We're calling our lesson today, Follow the Leader. I've said this before, but what is the theme of our 1 Peter series? Does anyone want to shout that out for us? What is it? What is it? Okay, good. We have a cheater. No. <laughs> Fighting as victors is our theme through the book of 1 Peter. So remember that theme. It's, it's going to come up once again as we look at this text today. But the title for our lesson today, as I mentioned before, is called Follow the Leader. And we're going to look at two different portions. The end of 1 Peter chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4 up to verse 6. So follow along with me in the word of God. Listen to the word of God. This is what it says. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. Chapter 4. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Follow the leader. Did you ever fail to follow the leader? Did you ever fail to follow some advice you were given or some instructions that were important? As you know, I like to share stories from my past. This one goes way back. Uh, I was in third grade, I believe, and uh, in third grade they gave us our first research project. And it wasn't anything too big. They were going to give us a topic and have us look it up in the encyclopedia a little bit and then, you know, explain what we learned and so we had to partner up. You were partnered up with someone in the class, and I, I got partnered with some little girl. And our topic that we had to research was the planet Venus. Okay? So we had to go to the library, go look into the encyclopedia, and look up Venus and study Venus, and then come back in two to three minutes and just share what we learned. Plain and simple. Well, <laughs> we went to the library. We grabbed the V in the dictionary. There was no internet back then, so we had to go to the library. <laughs> And I remember, you know, having, let's look up Venus and study Venus. Well, I wasn't a very bright kid, I don't think, back in the day. And apparently my partner wasn't that much brighter because we actually looked up something different. We uh, misspelled Venus and we looked up V-E-N-I-C-E. Thinking it was Venice. Or, I just gave it. Thinking it was Venus because we, we thought that's how you spell Venus. So we actually looked up Venice, Italy. And studied Venice, Italy. But obviously that's not the worst part because we had to present this. And I remember studying, reading some of these things going, that doesn't sound like the planet. But it's, it, obviously it's Venus. I mean, look how it's spelled. <laughs> so we got up, we got up and had to share a little bit about what we learned about the planet Venus. 
I didn't know it was the capital of northern Italy. I, I now know that. Uh, I also told them that there were no roads on Venus. It was only canals and channels. Which actually, that sounded actually like it would be on a planet. There would be no roads. But I remember my teacher having this really strange look. And she's going, wait a minute, Todd. Weren't, didn't you have the planet Venus? I said, yeah, Venus. V-E-N-I-C-E. She goes, no, 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 no. That is Venice, Italy that you're telling us about. <laughs> so we didn't get a very good grade. Um, but I recovered. I got to fourth grade. So that's, that's, all, that's all you need to know. Okay, fast forward a little bit in my life. Um, still not very bright, even though I'm in my 20s at this point. And uh, Trav and I and uh, my dad and a few others were actually going to a trip in Orlando, Florida. Who's been to Florida? Yeah, it's a fun place to be, right? Orlando, we went to Universal Studios and stuff like that. And, um, but while we were going there, we had a long layover in Dulles Airport there in Washington, D.C. And when you have a long layover in the airport, you've got to find something to do, right? Again, this is before cell phones and tablets and things like that. So we wandered around, you know, not, not leaving our gate too far in case, you know, the plane was going to come. But I remember Trav and I ducking into the, uh, the little gift shop there and wanting to get some snacks, some candy. And I, for whatever reason, this gift shop had one of those candy things. You know those barrels where you kind of like scoop it out into a plastic bag and you pay for whatever you get? So that's the kind of candy they had. And Trav and I were pretty excited by that because I was like, wow, this is good candy. So I remember finding a candy that I thought looked good and, and started to scoop it into my bag. And the, the person, the cashier person, who was foreign, she had some, some Asian accent or something like that, but she was actually trying to tell me while I was scooping the candy into my bag something. But her accent was so thick, I didn't really understand what she was saying. So I was like, she kept saying something. I was like, huh? Okay, thanks. I just kept scooping it in my bag. And then I went up and paid for the candy. And she, again, was trying to tell me something about the candy. And I was like, yep, no worries. Thanks. We're good. <laughs> so uh, we went to sit down and just eat our candy and enjoy and kill some time. And I, I, I moved pretty quickly through that candy. I now know in hindsight what she was trying to tell me because of the issues that followed me that day. The candy was sugarless. And if you know anything about sugarless candy, if you eat any, any more than like five pieces of sugarless candy, I'm going to spare you the details, but it's basically a laxative. I think I ate the entire bag. I suffered for days, and I am not exaggerating. Or my Orlando trip was pretty much ruined because of my sufferings that day. Because I was, I, I refused to listen or learn what this lady was trying to tell me. And she was trying to stress to me, it's sugarless candy. Go easy, buddy. But I didn't go easy. I failed to follow those instructions. Did you ever fail to follow the leader? We're going to learn about following the leader today. Obviously, the leader we're going to talk about today is the Lord Jesus himself. You have to remember, this is an entire letter Peter is reading, okay? He's, we're reading through an entire letter here that he's writing to his listeners. So we have to remember where we're coming from. And if you remember the last lesson we talked about was good versus evil. Doing good in the face of evil for Christ's sake. So Peter is simply going to come off of that and tell us what he's going to say today based on that. Remember to do good. And we need to remember that foundation today. So he laid the foundation for also for why suffering should be expected and embraced for Christ's sake. And suffering is another really tricky topic to talk about. It's not something we look forward to talking about. But it's important, and we're going to learn about why it's important today. We follow Jesus, and evil hates what is good. Our Lord Jesus suffered 
we too should expect to suffer. That's really what Peter's going to lay before us today. And if we handle suffering correctly, here's the cool thing. Our suffering is going to produce maturity and Christ-likeness because we follow the leader. And I promise you, and you guys would affirm this today, that we want the end result of what suffering produces. We do. Even though we don't want suffering, we want the end result of what it produces. But we have to remember that evil is going to oppose us. So today, today's lesson is going to be a little bit more teaching because there's a little bit of confusion in this passage when you first read it. It's a little bit tricky, so I'm going to have to explain each verse. And so if you go on this journey with me, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to explain the text, and then we're going to bring it all together at the end as we look at so what. So now what do we do based on that? So look at verse 18. This is what it says. Peter is going to differentiate the suffering for us so we can understand it clearly. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Jesus suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And yes, obviously we know Jesus suffered more than just one physical act while he was on earth, didn't he? He suffered a lot. He was mocked. He was reviled. He was blasphemed. He was rejected. People constantly tried to entrap him and kill him. So Jesus suffered a lot. But what Peter's basically saying is the sacrifice of his life on the cross was the only sacrifice of payment of sins that God demands from Jesus or from us. And that's the only sacrifice Jesus will ever have to pay. Jesus will never again have to pay anything else to secure our redemption because according to God, our redemption is already secured based on Jesus' death on the cross. And his sacrifice was sufficient to pay and cover our sins for all time. And really, guys, that's why we're here. We live in the victory of what Jesus Christ accomplished on our behalf. Amen? And Jesus is now in heaven, seated next to God the Father on his right hand. His payment was accepted by God, and our debt is now paid in full. Man, that is a good thing to know. Isn't that a good thing to know? That nothing else will ever have to be paid, including us. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, God will not demand two payments for one act. Jesus Christ already paid it all. All to him we owe. And that's the victory we live in today. And it says right here in the passage that Jesus did not suffer for his sake. He suffered for our sake. The righteous for the unrighteous because Jesus was perfectly sinless. His sacrifice was purely done in love for the Father's will and for our eternal life. His perfect righteousness and his spilled out blood for our sake is our salvation. And so Jesus' suffering, we learn right away, is very important that Jesus suffered. Because his suffering is our salvation. And we are glad that Jesus suffered, even though that's a complex thing to think about, a, a complex set of emotions in your mind. Am I glad that Jesus suffered? Yes and no. But I am what it means my salvation, when it means my eternal life, and I know you are as well. And so what Peter's going to say to us today is it's now it's our turn. For Christ's sake. Jesus spilled his blood so that his people who were enslaved to sin 
might be freed from that sin and be able to return to perfect fellowship with God the Father once again. These are very rich truths we're learning today and we're being reminded of today. But we didn't need to be saved from God. That's, that's an interesting um, distinction to make. God was not our problem. God loves us with the eternal love. The problem was our sin. Our sin had created a chasm you guys have been to the Grand Canyon or heard of the Grand Canyon, right? Imagine this chasm that stood between us and God, much bigger than the Grand Canyon. And sin was the problem. Sin was the chasm. We didn't have to be saved from God. We had to be saved unto God. It's a term we call reconciliation. But sin stood in the way of that because God is holy. Sin was in the way of me and God and you and God being in perfect fellowship so that chasm had to be removed. It had to be paid for. And glory to Jesus Christ, that, that, that debt was paid. And now we are able to be back with God the Father, which is the safest place imaginable in the arms of our God. All glory to Jesus Christ. So that's why Paul starts it. He wants us to understand how important the sufferings of Christ were for our sake. It meant everything. It means everything even today that Jesus suffered for our sake. Number two is Peter's going to reveal to us that physical death is not the last chapter for Jesus or those who follow him. And that's another good thing to know. Physical death is always that big elephant in the room, right? Nobody wants to talk about it. We all know it's coming. So let's just act like it's not there and not talk about it. Well, glory to Christ, physical death is not the last chapter for Christians. On the, on the contrary, it's a corridor. It's an entryway into our real, true, eternal life. So Jesus died physically on earth. He actually died. It wasn't some fake death. It wasn't some half death. Jesus actually physically died on earth. But his spirit lived on as it always has. It says in verse 18b, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, signifying that physical death was swallowed up by spiritual life. Isn't that a good thing to know too? That physical death is not the last chapter. That's not the end story for us. Physical death is going to be swallowed up by spiritual life. And Jesus had that happen for him as well. He actually physically died, but he was made alive in the spirit. And he is alive in the spirit today. And he awaits for his children to be brought to him. And if we're in Jesus, our spirits are going to live on after death. And I'm really thankful for that. I'm really thankful that I don't have to fear like the world fears. That I can have peace and security all because my spiritual life is eternal. And that means that physical life is not the most important life. Spiritual life is way more important than our physical life because it lives on into eternity and because it's God-like. God is not flesh. He's spirit. And one day we will be with him in the spirit forever. And if that's true, I want you to understand something today that a sacrifice of our physical lives to God, if we understand what we just talked about, our, our sacrifice of our physical lives to God will only sweeten the eternal spiritual life we have with him someday. If we can say to God, God, I know what is waiting for me. I know what you have promised. I know that I'm going to be with you forever. My physical life is yours. Do with it as you please. And all that will happen is when we give our lives to God, it will sweeten our spiritual lives forever. When we say to God, God, I'm in your arms, I'm in your presence, my life on the earth was yours. And I'm glad I lived for you because our spiritual life is the most 
profound life. And really, we have nothing to lose. The only thing we have to lose is wasting our lives upon this earth. Because we cannot, we cannot waste what God has given us because it's very precious to him. So we must remember that, that our spiritual lives are going to live on. And physical life is not the most important life. And I know we know that academically. I know we all agree with that. But do we live that practically? Do we live as if we know spiritual life is the most important life? You could actually say it this way. It's the true reality. Physical life is not the true reality. Eternal spiritual life is because it's not temporary. And that's an amazing thing to know. We then get to the, one of the most complex parts of this text. Number three, Peter gives us an example of Jesus having always been alive in the Spirit, because that's the point, right? If Jesus was always alive, is alive now, and will always be alive, and we follow the leader, do you get what he's saying? That's really important for us to know, that Jesus was alive, is alive, and will always be alive. And therefore, if we follow him, if we're of him, we too will be alive. But I want you to listen to how Peter explains this. He says in verses 18 to 20, speaking of Jesus, he says, But he was made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formally didn't obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared. This text, uh, commentators have gone back and forth on the meaning of this text, and after wrestling with, wrestling with this text, for at least a week or so, I've looked at this text before. Uh, these are the conclusions I came to. Peter is basically saying, when you look at this, is that Jesus was alive in the days of Noah. Now, was he alive physically in the days of Noah? No, he wasn't. Jesus wasn't going to be physically alive until he was born of Mary. But Jesus was alive back in the days of Noah. Why? Because he's always been alive. Jesus has always been. In fact, it says in the scriptures Jesus speaking about himself, he says, before Abraham was, I am. Basically, before Abraham was, I always have been. I always will be. There's never a point where Jesus didn't exist or wasn't alive. And so what basically Peter is saying is back in the days of Noah, you guys remember the story of Noah, right? Back in the days of Noah, Jesus was alive on in the spirit, speaking through Noah and Noah was building this thing called the ark. For commentators believe probably 100 to 120 years it took Noah to build this ark. And so while Noah was building the ark, he was basically warning those on the earth that the flood was coming. He was speaking the truth of righteousness to the people. But you know who was actually speaking through Noah? The Lord Jesus Christ. So what Peter is basically saying is that Jesus was alive back in the days of Noah, speaking through Noah. And those people, most of them, I would say 99, 99.9% .9 of them died. You guys know the story of Noah, right? How many people lived through the ark? Eight. Noah and his seven family members are the only people who got into the ark. And when the flood and the deluge came, everyone else perished. Meaning every single person besides Noah and his family rejected the message of salvation. Does that remind you a little bit of today? Does it remind you a little bit of today, thinking that Christians are so overwhelmed by the numbers of those who reject Christ and hate God? So let's work through the bullet points here so we can fully understand what he's saying. Jesus is made alive in the Spirit. 
just like he was made alive in the spirit all the way back all the way back in the days of Noah when he proclaimed the message of truth and salvation through Noah to the wicked people of Noah's generation. So Noah, you have to expect this. Noah is building this ark, and while he's building this ark, he is proclaiming the truth and the message of salvation to these people. There's a flood coming. I'm building this ark because God told me to. If you want to, you can get in this ark. And everybody besides Noah and his family rejected it. It says in the New Testament, even referring to the days of Noah, they were eating, drinking, and giving into marriage until the ark door was shut. And when the ark door was shut, they died because the water came. So Noah was the herald of, of righteousness back in the day, but he was being influenced by the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter is using this as an example to say Jesus has always been, even though he wasn't physically alive on the earth, Noah knew what Noah knew because of what Jesus taught him. Noah was righteous because of Jesus righteousness. So even though these wicked people were alive back in the days of Noah, Peter says they're now experiencing, experiencing spiritual death in what he calls prison. And if you look up prison in the commentators, uh, basically prison is referring to wherever evil spirits go now. If you study scripture, it seems to say that there's going to be a pre-hell and then a real hell, and a pre-heaven, and then a real heaven. People call it terms like paradise, Abraham's bosom, referring to the pre-heaven, because we know that judgment day is going to follow death. Every single person will stand before God, and everybody who passes judgment day is going to go to heaven. Everyone who fails judgment day is going to go to hell. But the spirits who physically rejected the message of righteousness are now in prison. Prison. They're being kept there until Judgment Day. And Peter is basically saying that Jesus told those people beforehand that there was a chance at salvation. So even though God waited patiently while the ark was being prepared a hundred or so years for any of those souls to abandon their sins and turn to the truth and find salvation in the ark along with Noah's family, one day the ark door was shut. The door of mercy and grace was shut on these people, and the flood came and killed most of them. Because God was patient. He gave them 100, 120 years or so to repent, to turn from their sins, and find spiritual life, but they rejected it. So Peter is saying, listen, we are in the Spirit, just like Jesus has always been in the Spirit. And I think today we're a little too concerned about our physical lives. I really do. I think we're a little too concerned about what happens to us in the flesh. We need to be more concerned about what happens to us in the spirit. Because most of the word of God is trying to pull out how you enhance your spiritual life. God has taken care of the physical. We know that. He has promised to feed us, promised to clothe us, promised to watch over us, promised to protect us. But God is not mostly concerned with the physical. He's not. Because he knows the spiritual is better. He knows the spiritual is the true reality. And so what Peter is trying to highlight today is to say, listen, suffering on earth is not the most scary thing. Being without God on the last day is the most scary thing imaginable. We know that because there are countless people who are in prison, have rejected God all their lives, even though God gave them a chance to turn. 
and now they're without God. So they ate, they drank, they lived in marriage, they had fun, they made memories, and now they're in prison. And Peter is saying, listen, the spirit outranks, outweighs, outvalues the physical life. And one day we will be alive in the spirit, just like our Lord Jesus Christ is. I hope that makes a little bit of sense of what he's saying. He's illustrating the fact that Jesus has always been and will always be. And remember the lesson title, follow the leader. Whatever happens to Jesus, whatever Jesus goes through is what comes to us as well. Next, number four, Peter describes to us the profound work of salvation and the significance of baptism, which is another a little, bit, a little bit confusing part here. He says in verses 20 to 21, in which a few, remember what we just talked about, that is eight persons, no one is family, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as removal of dirt from the body, as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as soon as you lock in on the word baptism, what are, you, what are you thinking? You're thinking of physical baptism, right? If you guys have been baptized, you're lowered into the water and you're brought out. And baptism is a symbol of your new life in God. I don't think that's the baptism Peter's referring to here. I think, again, he is referring to a spiritual-natured thing. Because he says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Physical baptism saves no one. Actually, that's our second point. I'm moving too fast. Peter is saying, since every other soul on, on the earth during Noah's time rejected God's message of salvation, Noah's seven family members were brought safely through the water. And this parallels baptism. Because in baptism symbolizes death to the old self and brought up to new life in God. Well, what happened when, the, when Noah and his family members got in the ark? They were saved and brought through the water. The water didn't kill them, unlike everyone else who died in the water. So in a way, Noah and his family were baptized. They were saved. They were brought through the water. They were brought through destruction instead of being destroyed by it. So Peter's saying baptism signifies, physical baptism, signifies that we are brought and saved from our sins, saved from spiritual death brought to new spiritual life in God. But physical baptism does not save anybody. He is talking about an inward spiritual baptism. This baptism that we actually do and partake of is a symbol. It's a symbol. You're not actually taking a bath. You're not actually having any physical stains removed. You are being lowered into the water as a symbol of your death to your old self and you're brought out of the water to represent your new life in Christ. But the inward baptism of the Spirit is what saves you. And that's the Lord Jesus himself. We need to be cleansed of our sins and washed with spiritual, inward, holy water by the Lord Jesus. So physical baptism, if it isn't teamed with the inward spiritual baptism, it doesn't mean anything. And I know there are entire religions who baptize Infants. But infants cannot experience God's newness of life until they make the choice to say yes to Jesus. Physical baptism that isn't teamed with inward spiritual baptism doesn't mean anything because it's a symbol. All it is is showing and proving to this world, to yourself, and to your God, 
I believe what you have done for me on the inward, Lord. You have saved me from my sins. You have saved me from spiritual death. And this baptism is now a symbol of what I've already experienced in you. So physical baptism is important. I want to, I want to stress that today. Physical baptism is important because it represents and signifies the inward life and cleansing we have received from Christ. So both inward and outward physical baptism are important. In fact, they're crucial because it represents something that has happened to us. And so Peter wants to stress that today, that if you have been saved, you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. You have been cleansed. You have been healed. You have been brought through death into spiritual life. And if you haven't yet been physically baptized, if you have been spiritually baptized, then we do encourage that because that's a symbol of what God has already done in your life. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what allows this inward spiritual baptism to take place because we don't just need cleansing from our sins. That's not the only thing we need. We also need new life with God. If Jesus just cleanses our sins and we go back to our old ways, that's not profound. We need to be made new, live new. We need to live for the will of God. And that's exactly why Jesus rose from the dead, because death cannot hold us any longer. Satan, as we've talked about through the entire book of 1 Peter, doesn't have control over us any longer, does he? He doesn't have the say-so over our souls. All he can do is tempt. All he can do is make noise. All he can do is distract because he cannot direct us any single way he wants us to. So Jesus conquered spiritual death by rising from the grave and now lives willfully, excuse me, now willfully gives that same eternal life to those who trust in and follow him, similar to saving Noah and his family from the ark. So even the picture of the story of Noah's ark is a symbol. It's a type. If you look back at Noah's ark, you can actually see the entire story of salvation. Because you see wicked people on the earth. You see a message declaring that there's a flood coming. You see the ark being constructed, the agent of salvation. And, you're being, and everyone who's told, get inside the ark because the death is coming. But only eight people listened to the message and everyone else was destroyed. Doesn't that sound exactly like what we have today? There's a message, there's a gospel message that says, live, turn to Jesus Christ and live. But most of the people who live upon this earth are rejecting Jesus today. So number five, let's go quickly here. We have to move quickly to get to the rest of this. But Peter elaborates on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ thanks to his sacrifice on the cross. This is where it starts to get really profound for you and I. It says, Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been made subject to him. See, after Jesus rose from the dead and completed his work on the earth, he ascended back into heaven to take his rightful place next to the hand, the right hand of God the Father. And when he did that, he was, he was made Lord of lords and King of kings. And all creation became subject to Jesus. People, spiritual authorities, angels, powers, both good and evil, are all subjected to the Lord Jesus. Jesus is not dead today. Jesus is not in the grave any longer. Jesus is alive on his throne, and he's in full authority of every single soul. So this means it's really important to follow our leader. 
because Jesus is Lord of all. He's Lord of lords. He's King of kings. And everyone must be subject to Jesus or die. Everyone must be subject to Jesus or die because he is the Lord. He is the king. He is in all authority. And he is the type of ark that we are experiencing today. If we're in the ark, we're safe. If we're outside the ark, we're doomed. Number six, Peter builds the foundation on why it's so important that we prepare ourselves to embrace suffering. Now he brings in the topic of suffering once again, because suffering is really important as we seek to follow our leader. So Peter builds the foundation of why it's so important that we embrace suffering, because he says in chapter 4, now we're in chapter 4, since. And when you see the word since, he is building on something he's already said. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. I'm going to read that verse again. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Since Jesus suffered, which we said before, we're thankful that he did. Since Jesus suffered being sinless, and since he is our Lord, since he is our shepherd, since Jesus is our pattern of life, we have to understand today and accept today that suffering is also our lot on this earth. It's just a reality. If our Lord and our captain faced suffering and he was sinless, we too will face suffering on this earth. And that's important to know because suffering is told to us that it's bad. As soon as you face suffering, something wrong has happened. God has abandoned you. Right? If, if we go through pain and difficulties, we kind of look to God and go, Really, God? I thought you loved me. Why am I going through pain and difficulty? And Peter wants us to understand today, Jesus did. Your Lord did. Your captain did. You are going to as well. But I want to encourage you today, suffering is not the end of the chapter. It's not the period on the sentence here. Suffering is important. Because unlike Jesus' sufferings, which were embraced to secure our redemption and our salvation, our sufferings are for our own maturity's sake, for God's glory, and for us to reflect Jesus on this earth. Suffering is important. It's important. It's hard. It really is hard. If you've ever faced suffering for being a Christian, it's lonely, and it's difficult, and it's nothing anyone looks forward to, but it really, really is important. Because it's producing in you maturity and Christ-likeness. And we said before when we started this lesson, we all want the product of what suffering produces. But none of us really want to suffer. But Peter says this, he says, Whoever suffers for Christ's sake is assured of their separation and freedom from sin, having proof of divorce between our soul and our wicked flesh. As if to say, if you suffer for Jesus' sake, it's proof that you belong to God. Because why else would you and I suffer for Christ? Why else would we follow our leader unless we were of Jesus? Unless we were born of God? We wouldn't. No one does. Yeah, honestly, it's even hard as a Christian to embrace suffering. So why would anyone suffer for Christ's sake unless you loved him? 
unless he loved you, unless you were born of him, unless you were going the exact direction that he went. And that's where we get this idea of following Christ. Whatever came to Jesus comes to me. And as soon as you think of that, you can think of that in a glass half full or a glass half empty kind of way. Oh, I follow Jesus, that means I'm going to suffer a lot and face a lot of pain and separation and loneliness. That's true. But if you follow Jesus, what else comes to you? Life, glory, and inheritance. God's love for all eternity. Victory in Jesus. Because whatever comes to Jesus comes to us. Not in the same degree. We're not going to face the suffering to the same degree our Lord did. But we will face suffering. This newfound freedom that we have found in Christ makes us free from sin and the spiritual death that follows sin. But this freedom, this purpose, is that we take and use what we've been given and what we used to give to the flesh and our sinful passions and now use that energy and love for doing the will of God. The will of God is all that truly matters in this life. And I know we're not convinced of that every single day. Every single day we're told this matters, this is important, you should strive for this, this is a really important purpose. But if you look into scripture, you constantly see like a broken record. Do the will of God. Do the will of God. Do the will of God. It's all that matters. It's all that matters because that's what impacts our spiritual, eternal life. And we have to remember we're here to follow the leader. I'm not here to map out my own life and take Jesus wherever I go. That's not what scripture says. Scripture says the opposite. I lay down my life and I follow him wherever he goes. I'm not the leader. Christ is. Number seven, Peter reminds us that the season for living in sin should be long over. Listen to what he says. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Peter's basically saying we have lived for and wasted plenty of our lives on sin already. Haven't we? Haven't we already wasted enough of our life living for the world? I have. I've wasted enough of my life, probably 20 years or so, living for sin. And if we're here 70 to 80 years, that's a quarter of my life that I've lived for sin. Did you ever waste money and time on something and then vowed never to let that happen again? Janine and I went the other day to a restaurant, and for whatever reason, we were feeling adventurous. It wasn't our usual restaurant. It wasn't the usual date, night, place that we would go to. We decided to get a little adventurous and go off the radar a little bit. So we went to this restaurant. We thought it was going to be pretty good. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Bad atmosphere, bad food, high prices. Yeah, it was a doozy. And so we vowed from that day on, let's stop getting adventurous. Those restaurants that we go to every single week, that's the reason we go. <laughs> Not every single week. It's like once every three months. What am I talking about? <laughs> Those restaurants, we go there because we know what to expect. It's a good time. We got a little off the radar and we regretted that. Did you ever waste something, money and time on something? Sin, is that something, guys? Sin, is that something? The fact that we have wasted so much precious time on this earth living for sin bolsters the truth that we should now live entirely for the will of God because Time is waning. The clock is ticking. And our time here on this planet is, is moving very, very quickly. How much time can we still give to sin before it's over? 
It's time to get at things that please God because we don't have much time. We don't. And that's exactly what Peter is saying. The time that is in the past suffices for what sin has already stolen from you. Live entirely for the will of God. It's going to seem so silly in eternity when we realize what we spent our time on. In my early part of my days, I spent a lot of time loving sports, following sports. In fact, I was probably addicted. Sports is probably an idol in my life. And I look back going, wow, what has sports actually given me? Now that I've turned to Christ, I wish I could go back and change what I lived for. Because Christ has only um, given me more joy and everything else is stolen from me. The last two points, we've got to move very quickly. And uh, number seven here, number eight, excuse me, Peter reminds us that unbelievers will be surprised when we live a holy lifestyle. He says in verses four to five, with respect to this, which means living godly, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, which means they ridicule you because they will, but excuse me, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The world's not going to get it. Are they? They're not going to get it. They're not going to understand it when you live for Christ. It doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't you be like the people in the days of Noah who are eating and drinking and giving into marriage and making memories? Why are you living for Christ? That makes no sense. That's not what's right in front of you. That's not the most pleasurable and desirable thing. In fact, if they heard a lesson like this, it would be quite a head scratcher. Suffering? Suffering for Jesus? Why would anyone do that? The wicked people of this earth, just like they were in the days of Noah, are going to be incredibly surprised at that when we live differently than the rest of the world. Because it's shocking to them that we seem to be wasting our lives, living for God instead of soaking up the pleasures of the earth. And since they don't get it, they're going to malign us and persecute us because people hate what they don't understand, don't they? And they don't understand Christians. Christians don't make any sense in their world. Why would anyone live for Christ? Why would anyone suffer for someone who doesn't live physically on the earth any longer? Why would anyone do that? But... As we learned in the previous passage, and as Peter continues to tell us, good is going to defeat evil. And all those who did not, all those who not only rejected Christ, but also hurt his people, will have to be judged by the Holy One and face condemnation. We are the victors. We are the victors. And Peter's telling us, remain at your post until the end. It's going to pay off. It's going to. You're going to win. You're going to invest. You're going to live forever. Continue trusting yourselves to God. Continue following the course Christ has set up for you. And one day the world's going to have egg on their face when they realize they mocked those who truly got it, who truly lived for what matters, while all their pleasures and all their desires and all their memories go away. They're in the past, and they can't take them with them. And all they're facing now is a long eternity without God. The last thing Peter does is he reminds us of the power and freedom of the message of the gospel. He says in verse 6, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. You see, the gospel is fair. It's fair to everyone who hears it. It gives all people the chance to turn from their sins unto Jesus. And remember Noah's Ark. The message was the same. Get in the Ark. Turn 
from your rejection, from your evil ways, and get in the ark, and you too will be saved. The gospel is sent all over this world. It's preached all over this world, even to those who refuse to repent, because God is just, and God is fair. He doesn't have to do that. But God sends the message of the gospel all over the four corners of the earth, so that everyone can hear the message of salvation. No one on the last day can blame God for their lack of life. No one. No one can say to God, God, you've got to be kidding me, right? I'm going to hell for the sin that I live, for the choices that I made, for the gospel that I rejected. God is not going to be the one we can blame. God is doing everything possible. He's sending his people. He's building churches. He's taking it to tribes that have never heard the gospel before. He's making sure that before Jesus comes, the four corners of the earth have heard the gospel. Because God is love, and God is fair, and God is just, and God wants people saved. This makes God's judgment more than fair because sin is a choice, and rejection of the gospel, too, is a willful choice. Those who reject Jesus have no excuse whatsoever because it says in 2 Peter 3.9, God doesn't desire that any should perish, any, but that all should reach repentance. God wants everyone saved. God wants everyone with him. God wants everyone to hear the life-saving message of the gospel. So if you and I do not follow the leader, if you and I do not listen to the message of the gospel, it's not God's fault. It's ours. God wants all people saved, but he's not going to force anyone to repent. Couldn't God, couldn't he have shoved every single person on that ark? Couldn't he? Isn't God strong enough? Doesn't God have the power to take every single soul kicking and screaming and throw them in the ark or throw them into Jesus Christ? But that's not love, is it? That's not love. When God opens his arm and says, I loved you, I spent my son for you, look what I've done for you, now you have a choice. He allows us to love him in return. He allows us the choice to walk into the ark and be saved or to keep our sins and reject him and face the consequences for it. What's the point of all this? This is the last thing we're going to look at. How do we tie all these things together? Because I know we went on a couple journeys here and you're like, what does all this mean? This is it. Number one. This is the point. We must be ready to follow our leader. Jesus suffered for his sins that he did not commit. We too will suffer in order to become mature in Christ because according to God's design, according to the way God has created it, suffering produces Christ-likeness. And as much as we don't want suffering, and I will say today, I don't want more suffering. That's not something I pray to God. God, could you make my week harder, please? Worse, more lonely, more difficult. Can that baby can that baby stay in there another two or three weeks? No. God, make everything rosy. Make everything good. But I want Christ-likeness, don't you? I want it. I want to be like my Lord Jesus. I want for me to be fully sanctified in my Lord. But I have to embrace suffering then. And I have to be ready to follow the leader. Number two is we should appreciate all that the Lord has done for us. Because without Jesus' sufferings, we have no hope whatsoever. It says in 1 Peter, by his wounds we have been healed. If you take that suffering away from Christ, you also take that salvation away from us. I am thankful today for Christ's sufferings, and I know you are as well. 
Are you rejoicing and praising him today for it? Jesus, thank you for your sufferings. Because without your sufferings, I don't have life. Without your wounds, I don't have salvation. Without your willingness to live for the Father, I don't have life today. Number three, we should be committed and determined to live entirely for the will of God. Our flesh has stolen so much time from God already. Let's fight it. Let's go all in for following Jesus. Time is flying by. It's already March, almost April of 2019. How much time have we lived for this world? How much time have we lived for sin? How much time have we given to the flesh? And how much time do we have left before the Lord comes back? Go all in for following Jesus. And number four, we need to remember that the day of mercy is still here. The door of salvation is still open. If this was the ark and Jesus is a type, he's the true savior, the ark is the representation of Jesus. But if this was the ark, the door is open. It's wide open. The day of salvation, the day of mercy is still upon us. And anyone who wants to go to Christ today can. So what does that mean for us? Well, we should strive in prayer for our lost loved ones. Shouldn't we? For those who are still outside of Jesus Christ, strive in prayer. Tell them the message of the gospel. Or if you're still one of those who have not found salvation from your sin, today is the day. I don't know if tomorrow is the day. I don't know if tomorrow is available. But today the ark door is open. Today the door of salvation is open. And if you have not found salvation from your sins, tomorrow is not the day. Today is the day to find that salvation, to go in to God through Jesus Christ. And you will be made new. And you will find the hope of eternal life. But when you do, the Lord is going to say to you, follow the leader. Jesus is worthy to have us follow the leader, isn't he? Isn't Jesus worthy to have us embrace godliness, embrace suffering, doing good upon this world for his sake, like he did for ours? Isn't he worthy? I mean, ask that to your soul today. Is Jesus worthy for me to suffer for him? He is. He's worthy. If you would see his wounds today, if he could show you what he did for your sake, if you could see and experience heaven for one hour, you would say, Jesus, you're worthy. So the last question today is, are you following the leader today? Is Jesus your Lord and your captain? Wherever he goes, do you follow? And one day, if we follow Jesus Christ, you know where we will go? You know where we will follow him into? The kingdom of God. Forever. And I ask that you would fight as a victor today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. I know it was a more complicated one and felt more teachy, but Father, this is a message that you have for us today. You want us to understand that Jesus Christ came to do something profound. He came to die, of course, we know that, and to secure our redemption. But he also came to show us the way, because if he didn't, we wouldn't know. And Peter is telling us today, and Peter was one of those people, too, that had to follow the leader. He had to learn. He tripped a few times along the way, but he eventually got on the path and stayed on the path and said, wherever Jesus goes, too, I will go. So Peter suffered, and Peter was matured, and Peter reached the end, and Peter is now reaping the benefits 
of all that Christ offers. I pray that we would listen to that today. That if we follow the leader, we will find life and joy and security, Father. And help us to remember that time is brief. Time is waning. We've already given too much time to, to the world, to the sin of this world, and to our flesh. It's time to go all in for Jesus. Bless this church, Father. Take us the direction you want us to. For Christ's sake, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.